This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Yeah, well, we are just a few hours away from finding out exactly what is going to happen with the U.S. election. Wendy Schiller is a professor of political science at Brown University, joins us today. Hello, Professor Schiller. Hi, Angela. Are you going to miss the campaign? Um, no, actually, I doubt most Americans will miss the campaign. I think it's been a long, exhausting election season, even for our Canadian uh, neighbors up north and the rest of the world. Uh, but it mobilized a lot of people uh, on both sides of the political aisle, and people were very engaged in it, talking about it for months and months. So in some ways, it was the best and the worst of what you would call the democratic process. No kidding. And and I want to talk more about, especially as we see the votes coming in and they're talking about, well, once they find out what happens in Florida, then we'll probably know the outcome of this election. But maybe to back up a bit, what we have seen, especially when it comes to the voting patterns and who is getting out to vote, which maybe has been different than past elections. Yeah, what's interesting is that Everything that was focused on this election is different was really surrounding uh, Donald Trump and how he didn't have political experience and he was wealthy and he ran an unconventional campaign. But what we're seeing in the voting in the last couple of weeks, particularly in places like Nevada and Florida, is the emergence of the Latino vote. Latinos are a big demographic in America. They're getting bigger, but they haven't matched that with their voting turnout in past years. It's been about 48 percent. In Florida, in early voting, uh, the number of Latinos voting early surpassed all Latinos voting in 2012. So we know that the turnout number is going to be much higher in Florida than in past years. We're seeing the same thing in Nevada, possibly places like Georgia. When that happens, that means Latinos go up in their political influence. And that will change things like the agenda for immigration reform because Republicans are elected to the Congress in the House and the Senate from the Southeast and the Southwest. So where we're seeing Latino turnout go way up are the very places, in fact, that might vote for Hillary Clinton now, but also have representation by Republicans. That's going to put some pressure on the Republican Party. So this Latino turnout then, do we credit Donald Trump for really stirring the pot there and maybe getting that block engaged? Yeah, I think that it's fear. It means genuine fear. First, it's insult, right? Uh, He launched his campaign insulting Mexicans. But then the idea of the wall plus deportation, I think that strikes fear in a lot of people, not just Latinos. Any immigrant family um, gets worried when the society turns on you as an immigrant. So that's been a problem. But the Hillary Clinton campaign has taken advantage of it by getting people registered to vote a year ago. As soon as Donald Trump started with that kind of rhetoric, the Clinton campaign moved in and made sure to get as many people registered as far in advance as possible, first for the primary against Bernie Sanders, but now for the general election. So they didn't just wait until now. They've been working the Latino community for almost a year, making sure that as many people as possible who were eligible to vote registered to vote. And that's campaign organization, what we call ground game. And so that's one very powerful voting block. What about when we even look at Hillary Clinton and her influence on women? Have we seen a particular voting bloc, specifically women? 
Well, you know, it's really about what we didn't see up until uh, October when the Donald Trump Access Hollywood video was released uh, and his comments about uh, women um, in that video. We didn't see a lot of women getting around Hillary Clinton saying she's a woman, I'm a woman, we want a woman president. We really didn't have that in this campaign at all, which was very surprising. Uh, she'd been around a long time. I think women didn't really see her as some sort of special uh, candidate the way that Barack Obama was seen because he was relatively new uh, and a little bit more mysterious. But as soon as that video came out, women, particularly women who typically vote Republican, uh, told pollsters and told people that they were just not going to vote for Donald Trump. So what's happening now is a block that has always voted Republican, which is uh, college-educated white suburban women, they seem to be flocking to Hillary Clinton. If that goes, if that's true, this, this election, particularly in places like Pennsylvania, even in Atlanta and Georgia, which has always been a Republican state, if that's true and it holds, it really does not bode well for the Republicans moving forward, because then you have to get the women back. And how do you do that when your campaign, like the Trump campaign, had a lot of difficulty with rhetoric surrounding women? So women have always been uh, favoring the Democrats by about 10 points, but that's driven typically by African-American women um, and not white women. Now white women seem to be pushing towards the Democrats, at least in this election. That's what it looks like. If that holds, then you really get uh, a tough hurdle to climb for the Republicans moving forward. Wendy, just those two voting blocks you were talking about, the Latino and the women women vote. Both those, it seems like Donald Trump was his own worst enemy because that's the only reason suddenly people are shifting from possibly Republican or more so coming out to vote for Democrats. Yeah, I mean, I think that Donald Trump, um, you know, we don't know who's going to win this election, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. It looks pretty favorable for Hillary Clinton, but we won't know until, um, you know, all is said and done. But nonetheless, Donald Trump could have run a very different campaign. Economic policy, jobs, education, and infrastructure, all the things that he sort of talked about, but then he goes off the ranch. He doesn't stick to his message. Had he just stuck to his message, um, I think he could have actually pivoted much earlier in the general election and been, you know, somebody who might have won. But he just kept staying on message, then going off message, and his temper, you know, he just attacks people in Twitter and other forums at his rallies. And I think Americans, no matter what, you know, where they're from, women, Latinos, men, it just doesn't sit well to think that the president of the United States would be engaging in that kind of behavior in a repeated fashion. So it's both he didn't stick to his message policy-wise, but also he just couldn't keep a hold of his temper enough, I think, to give people the confidence that he should be president. And that was enough for voters to look the other way when it came to some of Hillary Clinton's uh, missteps, whether it be the Clinton Foundation, even though nothing has stuck with that, nothing has stuck with the emails. So despite even those shadows in her past, they are able to say, well, we'd rather have her than Donald Trump, who seems like a ticking time bomb. Well, yeah, um, it's different effects on different people. So Republicans, um, typically you, you want to be 90% loyal. In other words, 90% of Republicans voting have to vote for the presidential nominee, or Republicans have a tougher time winning elections. Donald Trump's about 75%. 15% or so are defecting. Whether they're voting for Hillary Clinton or they're just not voting for Trump doesn't really matter, because Democrats are voting for Hillary Clinton at least minimally at 85%, probably 90%. So that means that Donald Trump has a disadvantage there, um, uh, and that it's not the case necessarily that people are actively choosing Clinton instead of him, 
But if his Republicans don't vote in the presidential race or they write in uh, somebody else or they vote for a third party, he can't possibly win. So that's what's happening. And I think, you know, the problems with Hillary Clinton are that she did these things while she was secretary of state, which makes people upset because she was in government. But there's a whole wealth of stories in, uh, about Donald Trump not being truthful as well. And I think he, he wasn't able to take advantage of the issues that Hillary Clinton had with truthfulness and candor. Wendy, so many people say this particular campaign was so ugly, so divisive, but is it really that different than past campaigns? Is this one going to stand out for years and years? Well, I think this campaign was more vulgar. We, we heard people discussing things uh, about women or about their, you know, uh, uh, their attributes that we've never heard. Really, we haven't heard this in American politics in the campaign. So it was more vulgar, and I think it was nasty. Is it the nastiest? Not by a long shot. Certainly uh, one of our first campaigns in 1800, uh, Je- Jefferson and Adams was very, very nasty. People would use the media. They would say things that weren't true. Uh, people fight for power in American politics, and parties will do whatever they have to do to win elected office. So it's not uh, by a long shot historically the nastiest campaign, but I think it was more vulgar, I think, than most campaigns that we can recall in recent history. And it was different in the sense that we had a woman running and we, uh, we had a businessman running. And so things changed quite a bit in that regard. But the basic competition and the fierceness of that competition, I don't think was any different than most other years. As you said, we, we really don't know who's going to win. We have to wait for all the voting to be done and the electoral college votes and everything else. However, if Donald Trump loses, what does he do next? Well, you know, we're going to figure that out if he loses with what he says tonight. I mean, does he even make a concession call? Does he make a concession speech? Does he use the opportunity? I mean, this will be the last time millions and millions and millions of people watch Donald Trump for free. You know, he may go on to a media television channel or a radio show or whatever it is, but people will have to pay for that. And I think this is his last moment to keep the people that he has won so far and turn it into something else. I don't know if he's going to grab that moment the way that he should, but it will be uh, it'll be a big indication of what he does next. He has a business. His children have this business. That business has suffered. His brand has suffered. The question is, does he abandon that luxury brand? Because a lot of his supporters are not in that income category in this election. And does he move to some other venue where he can attract the support of people who have been different from the people who stay in Trump hotels and buy Trump ties? So then if that's the scenario we're painting right now and Hillary Clinton is the president, what is her next job then, especially when it comes to realizing she's got a real divided country there? Well, she hasn't become president really officially until the Electoral College votes, and that's the second Wednesday in December after the first Monday or something. So it's still a ways off. But um, And then she's inaugurated, of course, on January 20th. Uh, I think that she's going to work hard to start building bridges with Congress as soon as she gets there. She's always been known as somebody who crosses the aisle, who will talk to people, breakfast, lunch, coffee, dinner, whatever it needs to be done. Very different from President Obama, who was more standoffish. Hillary Clinton will engage, and she'll keep engaging and keep engaging until she can make some progress. And I think uh, the Republicans are going to have to decide, do they want, you know, if they lose this election, and if they lose the Senate, for example, you know, what kind of party do they want to be and what kind of reputation do they want to have? If they're losing college-educated women and they're losing the majority of Latinos and African-Americans and young people, that just is not a very strong foundation to go into 2018 and 2020 with. 
So the leaders of the party are really going to have to figure out how much do they want to obstruct Hillary Clinton and where can they find any kind of room for compromise. Wendy, as always, we appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Angela. Wendy Schiller, professor of political science at Brown University. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.